So we finish 18, and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Hogwash and Hooey with Doug and Randy, where lifelong buddies connect to discuss all things life and dilute themselves into thinking people actually care what they have to say. Here's your hosts, Doug and Randy. Hey friends, welcome to episode eight of Hogwash and Hooey, the Ocho, episode eight. I am half of your hosting dynamic duo here with my sidekick, the Robin to my Batman, the Crockett to my Tubbs, the Screech to my Zach, Douglas Esquire the Third Levengood. What's up, love? Hey man, doing all right. I'm not sure I appreciate uh, being likened to Screech, but that's okay. I I'm here. I'm that. happy to be here. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I just uh, got the kiddos down. We played a little basketball, enjoying some of this uh, nicer weather that we've oh, had the last beautiful out, years. right? I think I was outside in, in a little bit of sunshine and 55 degrees for about an hour, and I, I got color. I, my <laughs> face is sort of red. That's how, that's how little sun I've Jeez. gotten in the last 12 yeah, months. I believe it. So, yeah, a little vitamin D. Help, help ward off uh, pre-vaccine, help ward off the coronavirus as well i think they say vitamin d is one of the best deterrents or one of the things that they looked at people that have gotten it and had the worst um worst cases of it were yeah. low in vitamin d deficient in vitamin d so I, you know i speaking of that i wonder if they're going to do a deep dive afterwards they the the proverbial they if they're going to do a deep dive as to who who was like like what we can do because clearly the vaccine is important and and drugs are are helpful and they're going to they're going to help people, but like homeopathic things, natural things, lifestyles, like diets, those sort of things, are they going to, is they going to change the way we do business in America? You know, I have been thinking about that a lot and, and I, I have a feeling they're going to push the easy button and say, Nope, go back to normal. Everything just kind of keep doing what you were doing before. Sure. Just take this shot, take this uh, vaccine and, and move on. Don't, don't well, worry about changing anything. What do you they, think? They've sort of abdicated that responsibility already, right? I mean, early on when all this started, the the number of variables that they found in pre-morbidity cases or issues that people were having, a lot of it seemed to be diet-related, yeah. obesity-related, uh, vitamin D-related, exercise, supplement, just different things like that that people really could change as far as their diet goes and, and get more exercise and take vitamin D and C yeah. and E and, and B and all the others. Um, but you don't hear as much talk about that. It's more stay inside, stay away from everybody. I mean, that, yeah. it's not a bad thing to do probably, but also some slight changes in our lifestyles sound like they would have one of the biggest Im impacts on uh, the likelihood of a, either getting it and or the ability to fight it off. So, and, and along with that would come mental health, would come, sure. you know, connection, 
emotional health, like a lot of those things that are kind of like, oh yeah, as long as you stay inside and stay six feet away from people and where you're, where you're double mask everywhere you go, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, but like, that really, that's, I don't think we're finding that that's the case. I, I, I think we're going to learn that opioid abuse, that alcohol abuse, that, uh, other things are, are kind of going to take root and going to be hard for, for us to recover from, which is an awful, awful thing. You know, I mean, that gets into, opens up Pandora's box in terms of, um, all the causes and ca- causation versus correlation and, and, and that sort of thing. But boy, it, it certainly is, is mind numbing, you know? Yeah, it'll be interesting when they do look back and they have the time and the uh, resources to kind of do a deep dive on the actual impact of this psychologically, socially, sure, um, within families, um, depression, anxiety, quality, yeah, just uh, all that stuff. Um, and I'm sure you have single friends. I, I know I have some single friends, and I, I think this has been incredibly hard to to be oh isolated gosh. for this long and and to um, lose all those, those kind kind of connections. It's been, it's been very challenging to watch and, you know, you try to reach out where you can, but boy, it's hard. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we have our own challenges, I guess, with having housefuls of people and being yeah. in close proximity, but I think I would definitely, um, you know, part of the reason you have a family is because you love them and you want to be around them. I, w- I would think so to have that, sure. to, to lose that personal connection and not have that, uh, yeah, that would be extremely challenging. I would for think. sure. So much love to all those people that have endured it solo like that. Yeah, and, dude. Uh, bless them for, for getting through it and, and, uh, just pour, pour into them and oh, hopefully we all need it, but just pour into those relationships in the yeah. coming year. Right. Yeah. And just be available. Right. And, and yeah. make yourself available for those, for those opportunities as they, as they come available or as you create them too. Yeah, there's something about being, because I, I think I speak for myself, but I've noticed already when social opportunities do come up, that I'm more reluctant to take them, not for in any fear of being out or anything like that. I'm just sort of become a homebody a little bit or, or feel more comfortable doing that just because that's been the reality for the last 12 months. So Is that why fun. you have your robe on right now? Yes. And only that. Only, so, only the robe. Only the robe. <laughs> I like it. Uh, no imaginations out there. Quit it. Yeah. Quit it. Uh, family show. Uh, but I was going to ask with, uh, talking about the vaccine, uh, have you gotten one yet? I know you hadn't last time we talked. Yeah, no. So I did, I did. We we were able to get both, uh, Kate and I were able to get the first, first dose of the the Pfizer and we did it down at joint base Lewis McCord, Mm -hmm. uh, as a veteran, they were, they opened it up and, and I can get in there and, and, uh, take care of what I need to take care of. So, um, zero, it was an incredibly well-oiled machine, zero issues, uh, for the vaccine. And then we got a couple weeks left before we go back for that second dose and kind of our, our vaccine, um, complete, I think. So, so being a young, youngish, healthy male, uh, low risk profile, you still jumped the line in front of a lot of people that haven't been able to get it with a lot of how do you, how do you account for that? How do you, yeah. So I don't know that I'd say say, lay your head on your bed at night, but sort of what I'm wondering. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) Um, There is, there is zero guilt. Uh, We, we waited uh, actually a couple of days longer than I thought we might. Um, And and there was plenty of space available, tons of appointments available. Um, And and it was a certain category of folks that can get it actually on the base, you know, it's not, so not everybody can just cruise onto the base. You have to have the, the, 
military ID. And, and so I happen to have that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, no guilt, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, I know I'm teasing you. <laughs> they, they've come out and said that probably makes sense to kind of, to the extent we can eliminate that um, needs yeah. based and just get everybody it as quick as we can. So. And you know, they're catching people like that. They're doing a good job too and catching people when there's availability to say, hey, mm. X person had a, had an appointment at 1045. They just called at 1020 and said that they're not going to be here. Well, we have a shelf life for this particular vaccine. So they yeah. start calling people or if somebody, it's a target of opportunity situation and, and they've been able to get people, at least people in my circle have gotten it. And, and you look at them and you're like, oh, you're, you're pretty young to get that. I was like, well, it was a target of opportunity. So. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Inslee came out, I think it was yesterday, and said they'd like to have all adults by April fifteenth, which is only fifteen days away, to yeah. be eligible to have it. So that's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. We're, we're getting there. Yeah, moving in the right there. direction. Speaking of speaking of moving in the right direction, um, we don't need to revisit our whole bracket, but I think you did pretty good in your final four predictions. I think I'm probably the same as you. If I remember, you had Houston and Gonzaga. Did you have Baylor? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. I'll have to go back to the recording. I changed it right after we talked. So before uh, the, before the tournament started. So yeah. I'll have to go back to whatever I put on tape. I forget. I have uh two. remember I was all ones and uh, oh, yeah. I I've got, so Baylor and Gonzaga. And then I had Illinois and Michigan. Michigan was almost there, but hey, uh, dude. I'm, I'm glad to see UCLA win. I like seeing it's the top 12 win. So yep. um, my bracket becomes, disposable at some point i don't really care that much as long as the team if there's a team in it that i want to win which in this case would be gonzaga that's right that's so. right absolutely and they look they look pretty great so hopefully they look they good, keep, man. keep it rolling this weekend man um ucla is who they've got next and i think ucla played overtime with michigan state to get into the tourney they did and yeah. they played another overtime game in the sweet 16 i think okay and then they won at the buzzer in the elite eight. So they Gonzaga's kind of moving, mowing through teams and UCLA's kind of squeaks some out. So yeah, I feel like Gonzaga uh has is probably got to be the favorite by quite a bit, but you can't count count out teams that have momentum at the right time. And it's very true. Seems to be yep. UCLA. They've, yep. they've got some momentum uh coming into the tourney, and there's always teams like that that are low seated that seem to kind of be catching fire when they need to and clicking. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, uh, opening day for the M's, exciting, it's exciting times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're down five to nothing right now, or something. So that sounds about right. That sounds about right, but but that's too bad. But it's all yeah. good. There, you know, baseball season's here. We need to get down and watch a game. I think at some point. Yeah, I heard they they're. I don't know what the occupancy is. Is it like twenty percent or how many people are they? Sounds in the sounds stadium? about right. I think twenty yeah. percent. I heard the number nine thousand, and so that would make sense. I think there's about forty or forty five that can and fit in there. Doing it by like pods, you have to buy tickets in group of pods or something. I heard, and they're sitting in. Makes you sense. Sit, yeah. You got to bring your own bubble, plastic bubble, to sit under. Oh boy. Um, no, I'm just obviously kidding. Oh boy. Okay. That, but. I, I think there's some in more red states that the stadiums are 100% occupancy, if I'm not mistaken. I thought I heard that in Texas. Maybe. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So Banana. we shall see. But it's exciting. I, it's nice. It's uh, not a huge baseball fan. Uh, I don't have the temperament to watch three hours of a game, 163 yeah. games a year. But I do appreciate having it on in the background. And there's something that says spring and summer when it comes Indeed. around. So. Yep, you're exactly right. 
Exactly right. So um, I was going to say the big news of the week, the thing that everybody's kind of been talking about at least the last couple of days, uh, I'm sure you've been reading about this, is um, the Biden stock pooped in the White House. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> so so the, didn't it also bite someone? It did, but I think one of them, I, I think he's got a couple of German shepherds and uh, it, one of them bit two different people. So it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's chaos over there, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I have a dog, and if my dog bit someone, I, I'd be I'd be terribly embarrassed. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. I would do. Uh, but I was joking, obviously. That's not the big news. The big news of the day is the infrastructure package Ooh. that Biden proposed. Uh, was like two trillion, I think, roughly two yeah, trillion. That's what I'm hearing. And uh, I'll go through some of the. So they call it an infrastructure package. There's some complaints that a good chunk of it isn't infrastructure, doesn't seem to be infrastructure, but the biggest, um, well, it, I, what Biden said was it, it's in the effort to boost innovation on battery tech, biotech, computer chips, clean energy, et cetera, to help us better compete with China and other autocratic uh, nations. And so the single largest item, and this one that's a little bit controversial, the single largest item of the bill is a $400 billion toward expanding access to quality, affordable home or community-based health care for aging relatives and people with disability, which a lot of people would say, well, if your intent is to invest in infrastructure, and that's the point of this package, 20% uh, of it, the largest portion going towards expanding access to quality health care maybe doesn't fit in that um, in that uh, arena, but the other the other items, uh, electric vehicles, this 174 billion, roads and bridges, 115 billion, modernized water systems, 111 billion, school construction, 100 billion, public transit, 85 billion, and uh, kind of goes from there. Okay. Thoughts on thoughts on that? Well, that's a lot of money uh, coming off of the heels of a uh, COVID relief package that was potentially arguably fraught with other things besides uh, COVID relief um, specifically. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's a little concerning. How, how, how do we pay for this? Do, do, did he say how we're going to pay for this? Is there a, a corporate tax rate increase? Is that what I'm reading? Yeah, it's a, it's taxes. Um, although when they say taxes and it's not politically palatable or they can't get it through, they can always, uh, warm up the printing presses and go to work there. But yeah. it sounds it sounds to me like it is uh, individual income tax uh, and then corporate income tax increases at a, at a certain level for individuals. But that always seems to whittle its way down to everybody eventually in one way or another. And then uh, also increasing the capital gains rate. So yeah. right now, I think the top rate of capital gains are around 20%. Okay. And they would take the capital gains theoretically or proposing to take it to uh, your personal income tax rate. So that's how they would capture okay. a lot of the profits. Uh, okay. That's, that's how they're saying they would, those are the primary ways they'd like to pay for it. Yeah. I heard a little bit of critique today. I was watching The Hill and uh, one of the, one of the folks on there mentioned that, it, you know, it, it seems like a lot of money, but it's less than what he originally promised when he was on the campaign trail. He talked somewhere around four to seven trillion while he was he was out there uh, campaigning. This individual was saying um, 
hey, I, I think it is, it is the sort of thing that, that pays for itself, right? So if you invest in infrastructure, then your economy's better, you produce more GDP, more revenue comes into the government and um, just as, as a way, as kind of a by, by proxy, I suppose, or just by practice that it's gonna come in automatically when you start investing into uh, the infrastructure. Um, I am not an economist. I don't understand exactly what uh, she was talking about. Um, I kind of understand a little bit, hey, you start giving money to people and uh, allow corporations to succeed and, and then more taxes maybe come in. And if that's what she's talking about, then I, you know, it's hard to disagree, but boy, it does seem a little bit like we're, we're just kind of um, kicking this can down the road, so to speak, because somebody's got to pay for this and, and it's hard to, hard to know who and, and how exactly and I don't, are corporations going to be excited to pay that after they received the big tax cuts a few years ago? Are they going to stick around? Are they going to bring more jobs here and, and, you know, pay more in taxes? So those are the sort of questions I don't think, I don't think they're asking. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I agree with your assessment. It seems to me timing wise that, all right, it, you, argument can be made that some investment needs to be made into infrastructure, right? We've heard for a long time, uh, regarding our bridges and the safety of our bridges and, um, you know, some of our roadways in certain areas, et cetera. But I think there's also probably a time to do it. And on the heels of a $4 trillion uh, COVID relief bill that we're still trying to come to terms with and what, what's it going to look like when we come out of this and, and what's the economy going to look like? It seems a little bit too soon to maybe make a decision on where the investments need to go. Right. If we're going to have the funds to do it, if we can increase people's taxes to do it, right. People have been struggling as a whole for the last 12 months. And now you're already talking about raising their taxes. Granted, these are all things that he ran on and he got voted in. So uh, elections have consequences. Yep. And, uh, and, and so it seems, you know, I, I always tend to politically prefer lower taxes and let the free market kind of do its thing. And I recognize the government has to step in and, and has the job of providing some services and infrastructure. But uh, at, on the heels of this $4 trillion in spending already, I do think it might be a little bit risky. And uh, it seems like it wouldn't hurt to wait 12 months and see the kind of fiscal position the nation is in when we come out of this. Right. So, yeah. I think that would be a very uh, prudent way to approach it as well. Like you, you can see, Hey, give, give the, give it time to see where this cash injection that just happened, where it, where it uh, leads and, and how it maybe raises all boats, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And it's funny because then you hear other folks, like I think you were talking about the Hill and AOC and other people complaining that it's not near big enough. Right. Right. And uh, that's crazy to me. I, I, I would have to do some studies and I'm, I'm not an economist by trade to see the impact that this kind of stimulus and infrastructure stimulus actually has on an economy. Right. Yeah. It does sound to me like, yeah, well, you invest in roadways and bridges and healthcare and all these things. And it, it spurs or stim stimulates the economy, stimulates investments in certain areas. And it's like, ah, that does a better road really, or a, a better bridge really increase economic value somewhere of the cities that benefit from it? I, I don't know. I, I'm dubious that that indeed is the case. So you could draw a correlation to that. Um, 
And if you look at the way that it's all going to be spent, I'm sure as it always does, so much of it becomes pork and pet projects and goes to individual voters yeah. states for their yeah. own um, constituency. So I, I don't know. I, I think something's going to get passed. I don't think it'll get probably very much Republican support at all. So yeah. I'm not sure how it'll get passed with the uh, Senate split as close as it is. What kind of, what kind of, uh, it wouldn't be the filibuster. What is it that they would have to use to get around the 60%? Do you know? I don't. Is it, is it the reconciliation? Can they do that more, uh, more than, more than once? Is that, I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that. I was thinking that can only be used once per fiscal year. I think that's how it was okay. built. So they couldn't be taken advantage of because they used it on the previous package, right? Yeah. Public relief yeah. package, I think. So yeah, so that makes sense. So that probably wouldn't wouldn't be it. Yeah, I'm not sure, man. That that's uh it does beg the, you know, the question of of um just what is the way forward here, right? Because mm-hmm. there there is a pull to get things done in the administration so that when 22 comes around, it's the midterms, everybody can point and say, hey, we did this, we got this moving. Um, and everybody who wants to retain their position, I should say, um, yeah. in 22. So a lo- lot, uh, lot of balls in the air and, and there's jockeying happening you know, from, from the beginning. As soon as the election's over in, in 20, it moving right on to the next, you know, next, uh, iteration. So totally. Well, it's, I, I saw a, a quote from the wall street journal or not a quote, but just what they had to say on it and said, note the political irony of all this. Mr. Biden says public investment has fallen as a share of the economy since the 1960s. And he has a point, but the main reason is that government spending on social welfare entitlements and public unions have squeezed out public works. Now he's redefining social welfare as public works to drive more social welfare spending. Mm. So um, that's that's from the Wall Street. Did he say anything about the defense spending at all? I mean, I'm I'm a defense hawk, man. But we spend a lot of money on on defense. No, in regards, in in comparison to that, or this was just regarding this bill. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's plenty of complaints or concerns about how much we spend. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's the biggest biggest portion of our budget yep. annually, I think. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, sure is. I was just curious if they would, if the wall street journal guy said anything about uh, trimming back there to account for some of these internal things. No, this, this was just a response to the, the proposed bill. Okay. So not, not a, a national budget conversation at all. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, so it'd, it'd be interesting to see how this moves forward. I'm sure it'd be vigorous debate. And uh, hopefully there can be some compromise in there. I think there's something's going to happen. Something will probably get through. It seems like uh, the, the voters put somebody in that had promised that. So some portion of it, hopefully it'll be ratcheted down a little bit and not, not too aggressive. Because I am worried about the impact that has, obviously, on inflation uh, going forward and, and printing money and or increasing taxes to the point that you stifle growth and investment. and, and Yeah. The, the strong economy we've seen the last couple of years, but the argument would be that some of this needs to be made to compete better with China. And it, it was funny. I don't know if you remember there, there was a quote, something, I don't I think it was in this most recent presidential election where Trump had said something about China eating our lunch. 
is that was that this one? Anyways, China eating our lunch and and Biden respond. China eating our lunch. Come on, man. Like it was a, a joke, you know, how he says, and, and I don't do a good Biden, obviously. Um, and then he had come out and said in, in this conversation within the last couple of weeks, like China's eating our lunch, this is <laughs> a necessary thing. So it, it was pretty, pretty funny. Um, I don't know if it was a gaffe or if he just forgot or obviously yeah. most of these politicians just say whatever's expedient at the time sure. for their own cause, but that's found that pretty, funny. pretty funny. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see any other thoughts on that. Um, no, I think it's, you know, the initial, initial swag is it's going to be a lot of money any way you slice it and, um, how it's going to be paid for is, is something that I think we should all be tracking. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Did you see that, uh, ship speaking of international, uh, economy and <laughs> do you see that ship that got, uh, stuck? Yeah. Is it, was it the evergreen, the ever, I think it was evergreen ship. Yeah. It's, I think that they must be a big barge or shipping company. Cause you, you see those all the time. I'm not sure what that specific vessel's name was, Yeah, but, uh, crazy. I don't know how that happens. Um, he's playing words with friends or something and, and not paying attention <laughs> going through there, but what a, what a seemingly, cause if a single ship that size and they're massive, I recognize that. Would they say something like 10 football fields long? I don't know if it's that or, long, but it's pretty long, pretty big. Yeah. You would know you're a Navy guy. It, yeah, what, what's average for a big barge like that? Do you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's a container ship. I think this was, this one was well over like a thousand feet or something like that. Like maybe okay. 1200 feet. I think uh, maybe okay. I'm on the low end too. Maybe it's 14. I, I don't know, but okay. um, yeah, massive. I mean, multiple football fields either way, but yeah, I watched a video. Um, it was it was the automatic ident identification system that showed it's like the it's like the the chirp that it sends out so that everybody knows where it's at. And then they did okay. a recreation, kind of a, a recap of it, and they showed it entering the strait and kind of making the turn. And then I, I don't know if it was weather, if it was just poor navigation, if it was wind. I, I don't know exactly what the cause was. I think they're still investigating, but boy, it, it was, it got lodged in there, man. Yeah. And that was unbelievable to see how deep it was. They said it was like, they were digging 60 feet down with all this gear to try to like dislodge this massive, massive ship. I mean, it's bigger than an aircraft carrier, dude. It's insane. Oh, is it? Yeah. You, when you see is them that... right next to each other. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in aircraft carriers. If you've seen one or they're, they're amazing. It's a city, a floating city, really. Yeah. And so now you've got this thing that makes an aircraft carrier look, look kind of, pedestrian really yeah. amazing. that is amazing are they going to be i mean obviously they'll get it out of there i think this i think it's out i think it, oh, it's it? now floating again and they got it out i didn't now, see that okay i don't know if it's actually out of this out of the canal i don't know that but um yeah. I, it is i think they're starting to pass traffic through there again which is which is pretty big for for the economy i i suppose the world economy yeah, it'll be um, interesting to see because they think, you know, any of the supply chain issues that are caused by yeah, that always yeah. take a while to come into effect to see the impact of it, right? Any, any is an immediate need yeah. is sitting in a warehouse somewhere already. I read um, something there. Somebody was like, yeah, toilet paper is going to be limited uh, because of this issue. And it's like, what? Toilet paper? <laughs> I think everybody's got enough toilet paper in their, you know, in their, in their basements now to, to last for the next year. So it yeah. seemed like a, they probably could have gone a different direction on that critique, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, it does seem like you could find a different item other than the one that everybody's been hoarding already. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hoarding toilet paper. 
<laughs> so yeah, that the uh, that was something else, man. Pretty crazy to see. I mean, just obviously the size and scale of things like that, but and then the engineering that goes into building, say like the Panama Canal or other routes of trade like that. Yeah. But then how reliant you are on a single captain to not make a silly mistake. Oh, and man. maybe it wasn't a silly mistake. I don't I don't want to stand to judgment. I have no idea what it takes to navigate one of those things, but just the imagery of it that overhead imagery from yeah. satellites and stuff was just it, it's startling yeah there yeah. i'll see if i i'll try to get get you some of this video that i saw it was pretty interesting watching it go in and and some of the rescue efforts to to get it out awesome Salvage. yeah so that'd be cool well hey you and i we we plan to we've been planning to talk about something that's been kind of top of mind for us as we've been digging into it and seeing and hearing a lot more about it and that is the idea of critical theory and we're not going to go into it right now because I think it's a, a longer form conversation and we want to do it justice. But um, why don't you share a little bit on maybe your understanding of critical theory for those that aren't familiar with it? Uh, you may, people may have heard it uh, referenced more recently uh, as it does tend to be something with um, a lot of the social movements that are, are going on and, and maybe what's underlying, un undergirding some of that. Uh, and it goes by a number of different names. Uh, more palatable probably names at times, but critical theory as we've been digging into it and listening to a lot of speakers that are doing more on it. Um, I, I think it'll be an interesting thing. We encourage anybody listening to definitely tune into those ones, but what, what are your thoughts on it as we yeah, just ease it out? Absolutely, man. Um, so this is, I would say this is something that has been um, on my on my mind, on my heart to try to wrap my arms around to figure out the right approach to talk about it. Um, because I think it is, it is touchy, right? So it's, it's a, it's a philosophy. It's an approach to government. It's approach to uh, society that, that kind of talks about tearing down the current structures, disintegrating them effectively because they're the power dynamic is, is off. And so a certain, there's always, there's always a power dynamic in every relationship according to critical theory. And so the idea is to, to dive deep into to tear that apart from the roots, right? So you have to you have to get it all out and take down any system that is supporting it. And and what we're seeing now, and this is this is a philosophy that's gone back, uh, you know, in the last hundred years. Um, I think Max Horkheimer uh, def defined the theory back in 1937. Uh, Immanuel Kant and uh, and um, and Marx uh, came out with the you know. Their, their thoughts on it and how it applies to um, capital and in economies. And then we saw it furthermore in, in like, there was a um, papers out there by, by Kimberly Crenshaw back in the early nineties talking about um, feminism and, 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 and this sort of thing and, and how um, intersectionality this, these different levels of oppression that people are, are under. And so that, in order to level the playing field and make everything equal and not just equality of opportunity, but equality of output outcome. or uh, outcome, excuse me. Yep. Um, that became the major thrust of critical theory. So over the last several years, I would say in my reading and, and I'll kick it over to you in a second, I've seen that it's gained traction in, in government arenas, education arenas, even businesses are starting to now um, have these, um, uh, dare I say, propaganda sessions or indoctrination sessions where they're, they're starting to um, make the people 
understand that this is the way it is sort of thing. And if you speak up against it, then it's a, it can be a, a problem for you uh, because it shows that you are uh, bigoted because you believe in equality of opportunity, but not necessarily equality of outcome. You don't think that our structures of government are inherently evil and awful. You think that two plus two does equal four. And the, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians and the Byzantines and people throughout history have agreed that that's the case and mm. it's still the case. And so people are starting to say that those sort of philosophies could be rate could be perceived as racist. And so they're looking to tear them down. That's my, that's my like 45 second, maybe two minute understanding or kind of quick breakdown of what I've learned. But I would love to hear what would you have to say as, uh, as we go out here? Yeah, I think, uh, in just what you covered there in the last two minutes, there's a ton there to unpack, right? So I think that's the reason that this is going to be a longer form conversation and maybe, sure. maybe multiple episodes. But yet my understanding is, uh, you know, it, it, the first person that they kind of attribute this critical theory to would be Karl Marx, right? And, and it was kind of, even if they didn't call it that at the time, but it was really sort of so, taking socialist ideas of the proletariat, and the bourgeoisie and taking it into other areas of life where it's um, race or gender or uh, sexuality or um, yeah, just all, all other aspects, right? So you we see it in terms of um, the patriarchy. We hear it references the patriarchy. We got to tear down the patriarchy and that's what feminism in a lot of ways is pushing back against. Uh, then you hear it as far as critical race theory, which has been in the news a lot uh, recently. And, and the terms that we hear around that are white privilege and uh, some of those. And then you see it in queer studies and, and other things like that that are really pushing um, some D, uh, what, what's the term? I guess uh, having additional multiple spectrums of, of genders and of sexuality and, mm. and so all these things that are pushing back against things that have historically been pretty pretty norms but they would say that in the argument would be that in every interaction between two individuals each individual is a member of specific groups right they're a member of a group based on their race they're a member of a group based on their gender they're a member of a group based on their uh, sexuality based on uh, gender identity etc as a result you look at that, whatever the power dynamic is be between what group they fit into and the person that they're interacting with fit into, there is always in any interaction an oppressor and an oppressee or somebody that's being oppressed. And so um, what the argument would be, at least in, in the United States and in Western, um, Western Europe, I'm sure in a lot of the Western world is that, um, you know, white is, is uh, the oppressor and other races would be the oppressee. Males would be the oppressor, female the oppressee. Straight, uh, heterosexual would be the oppressor, other would be the oppressee. And then so they look at each individual based on what characteristics do you fit are, are, are yours? Where's your intersectionality and how does that compare to the person that you're interacting with? And if you are the oppressor in that situation, it needs to be seen, your interaction with that person needs to be seen as you are the oppressor, they are the oppressee. And that needs to 
be the the lens that you view your yeah. interaction. It, it becomes the primary the primary method in which you interact with someone, right? Totally. Yeah. So it becomes that kind of identity politics, or or you you are this because you fit in this group, not you are Doug. I am Randy. We are individual. We're unique. We are all creations of of God. Um, and, and loved for that, we're ba- we need to be judged based on our physical characteristics. Immutable characteristics, unchanging characteristics, Un- right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that that needs to be the co- become the core of how we see each other and relate to each other. Sure. And I think in, in general, you and I would probably come to the conclusion that that seems super dangerous. Like that I is think so. yeah. sort of the opposite of what Martin Luther King would talk about by judging yep. a person based on their content of the character other than the color of their skin. Yep. Um, anybody really that's come around before that's fought for social justice. I think we can agree that there's great uh, a movement for social justice and there's a lot of areas for us to improve. Yeah. And, and there are marginalized groups absolutely. that we should, we, I think we're obligated to, to reach out to and, and to bridge that gap without a doubt. Absolutely. And, and there is, no doubt racism and and racism in existing systems, whether it's in every system and it's systemic and that every system that's in place needs to be torn down because it indeed is built on some, uh, uh, on some racism or the patriarchy or uh, any of these different, um, these different hierarchies that critical right. race would, or critical theory would, would say exists. Uh, a, that's not proven. That's a theory. B, most science doesn't actually show mo- most, um, uh, yeah, science and data doesn't show that those are actually things. Uh, C, we've seen how bad that stuff goes in the past when you divide people right. into that. That you know, it, we see it in hat, socialism. Yeah. Look what it did in yeah. Russia communist China, and communist China, the communist gulag, China. and yeah, I mean, how many billions Cambodia. of people have yeah. died? under these theories, right? And yeah. so instead of taking it just from economic division between the bourgeois and the, the proletariat, yeah, the proletariat, now you're taking it into race, you're taking it into gender, you're taking it into all these other fields where it's like, it's already been proven to be a horrible idea and a failure in so many. Yeah. And, but it's, uh, it's and getting now, traction now again. And, it is. And, uh, yeah. And I think, so one thing that most of us don't know is that I actually started, I think, coming into universities seeping in in the like 1970s or so. Mm-hmm. And, and it has been a massive part then of, of uh, the curriculum in certain fields, whether it's the social sciences, it's been a big part of that, the humanities, et cetera. It's kind of something that's undergirded a lot of uh, what students have learned during their time in college and then uh, going into their professional career. So this has been building for 30, 40 years. And I think obviously with the movements of the, the uh, Black Lives Matter and obviously some of the stuff that we've seen over the last year and the, the, the momentum that movement's getting, that that's actually really built. If you look at the core tenants on it, uh, there's a, a fair amount of it that is critical theory yeah. based and, and breaking down the the traditional family and a lot of those things that exist um, culturally. So there is, again, it's a, a delicate conversation to have. So I think you and I are both a little bit, like, how do we talk about this and, and share opinion without, and you know, trying not to be offensive um, and just making a point that we really do see this as a dangerous thing, a, a step way backwards rather than progress. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. 
that that's our concern that it doesn't build unity it doesn't build um, growth it doesn't build community it doesn't build equality in fact it creates larger and more distinct divides based on physical characteristics but I think the, the reason why we want to talk about this is because I think it, it, it is somewhat insidious. It has been creeping in. It is not just a crazy idea now. It has gotten root and, and it is something that needs to be addressed. And I think Absolutely. you have to talk about it. If you don't talk about it, you, you, know, you can become passive and it's called tacit consent. You live here, you, you have to agree and pay the taxes you're, it's required. So yeah. you have to have to discuss it and talk about it and make sure. And we have lots of friends that probably have no idea that that this is something that's happening, or at least they maybe they've heard of it in the offing, but don't know that it's uh, that it's uh, so prevalent. So and uh, I think I we got to be careful and aware because it, it will be disguised as a lot of really positive things, right? Yeah, It'll be, sure. be be disguised as a lot of positive change and good social movements and progress. Um, and there are, are things going on that are that, that are great, I think, for us as a society to move forward and increase equality and opportunity. Uh, I don't think, based on my research, I don't think this is one of them. And yeah. so I just, I think putting it yeah. out there and just saying, hey, don't, you know, just pay attention to this, friends that are listening. Um, don't maybe be duped by it. And yeah. if you see it as a good thing, then, you know, to each their own. But I'd rather- We'd love to have, we'd love to have you on- We'd love to have you on the show. If you are yeah. a big believer in critical theory and you've seen it work in your life, reach out to Randy, reach out to me because we would love to talk about it. We're, we're not opposed to, to having that discussion. Yeah, no, we'd love, love to debate it in here. Who are some people, um, just to put some names out there in case people do want to research it a little bit more, listen to podcasts or read, who, who have you listened to that you like on it? Yeah, uh, James Lindsay. Um, I've read stuff on... Um, uh, what's her name? Um, hold on. I'm going to find her name. It's um, Hassan Ariane Ali. Yep. So she, she is a, uh, a Somali born individual who uh, at, at any rate, yeah, I've heard her interviewed on uh, Joe Rogan as well as um, a few other, a few other places. And she's, she's quite well-spoken. Uh, Barry Weiss, uh, you know, Helen Pluck Rose. Uh, yeah. So there's some good, good folks out there that are, exactly. that have a good handle on um, what, what's going on out there. Yeah. I mean, I think you could probably just Google disagreements with critical theory and find, but I think, you know, I think Brett Weinstein probably does Jordan sure. Peterson. Yeah. And, yep. um, uh, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff and we'll have a lot more in the next one. But if you're looking for more information and people a lot more educated on it than we are, those would be some great people to check out. Yeah. Um, with that said, let's wrap it up. We've got, um, we're starting to have guests uh, in the future. We're hoping to have people join us so you don't just have to listen to the two of us ramble on. Uh, we have a, a friend and a, a resident of New York City to come in and talk to us about what they've been experiencing in New York City over the last 12 months. Paul Martinez will be joining us. And uh, within the next couple of weeks, we'll have author Brian Causey come on and talk with us about his new book, Trading Gods, A Rationale for Faith, which uh, I read the book. It, it's really interesting. I took a ton away from it. And uh, I think it'll be really cool to uh, to chat with him and and learn more about his his uh, his life journey. And yeah, man, faith. we're lo- looking forward to those conversations. Uh, again, always good to talk to you, Hartman. Yeah, my friend. Um, all right, well, have a good rest of your week. Tell uh, the kiddos hello, and um, 
good luck with that second dose of the vaccine. Do you know when you get it? Yeah. Mi- middle of April. So okay. a couple of weeks. Good, man. And then it'd be back to normal and we get to hang out and the kids get to run around and play together again. And we get a barbecue this summer and uh, watch ball games and do all the things we love to do. So can't wait. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N.